Chapter 1 Primordial Child of Time, 1932-1950 27th of October, 1932 Sylvia Plath, born in Boston while her family lives in Winthrop, Massachusetts. 1934, Otto Plath publishes Bumblebees and Their Ways, a landmark study in entomology. 27th of April, 1935, Warren is born. 21st September, 1938, The Great New England Hurricane. 5th November, 1940, Otto Plath dies of an embolism after an amputation. 10th of August, 1941, Sylvia's first poem is published in the Boston Herald. 7th of December, the United States enters World War II. 1942, Aurelia Plath moves her family to Wellesley and begins teaching at Boston University. 1944, Sylvia begins keeping a journal and writes for her junior high school literary magazine, The Philippian. 20th January, 1945, Sylvia and her mother attend a performance of The Tempest in Boston. 6th and 9th of August, atomic bombs dropped on Japan. 1947, Sylvia co-edits the school newspaper, The Bradford, during her last year of high school. 1950, Sylvia is accepted as a scholarship student at Smith College, Northampton, Massachusetts, and lives on campus in Haven House. She publishes a story in Seventeen and a poem in the Christian Science Monitor. Some writers are born to be perpetual exiles and think of themselves as sea creatures. Sylvia Plath liked to tell the story of her mother setting her infant civvy on the beach to see what she would do. The baby scrabbled seaward like an old salt, saved from being submerged in an oncoming wave by a vigilant mother who held on to her daughter's heels. Held on or held back? Sylvia was always of two minds about her mother. Aurelia would later write scholar Judith Kroll that in fact it was Warren who had crawled into the waves but such facts did not matter to a poet creating her own mythology. As the poet wrote in an essay broadcast on the BBC near the end of her life, she spent her childhood where the land ended. She described the swells of the Atlantic as running hills. Peering at the kaleidoscopic interior of a blue mussel shell, she imagined the intake of air the Earth's first creatures experienced. Living in a house by the sea, she was rocked by the sounds of the tides. Never again would life feel so buoyant. Sylvia had eight years of this coastal cradlehood. Then her father died and the family moved upcountry, sealing Sivvy off from the enchantments of childhood like, to use her expression, a ship in a bottle. That vision of a sea world vanished as abruptly as her father and both seemed to hear a white flying myth, fleeting and pure and unreachable and moribund for a child growing up in a world elsewhere. As angry as Coriolanus, a bereft Sylvia Plath went into exile. She would accomplish many great things, but never with the assurance of someone who has arrived. She was always looking back, full of regret and uncertain of the future, even though she met so many moments of her life with high expectations. Her life, beginning with her adoration of Superman, became a crusade. Siv was six years old when war came to Europe, old enough for a precocious child with a foreign father to realize the world was full of villains. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? the insinuating radio voice of the shadow asked every Sunday evening, answering, The shadow knows. Siv heard Hitler's speeches, which Americans tuned into with the same kind of hearty compulsion they displayed when listening to the harangues of their own homegrown fascist, Father Coughlin. Later, images of the Fuhrer and the Holocaust haunted Plath's poetry, amalgamated in her vision of a hellion husband. Sil was not alone. She went to school with the children of immigrants who watched their parents. Exhausted after a hard day's work, 
subside beside the radio, awaiting word about the home country. At school, she stood pledging allegiance not with hyphenated Americans, but with kids still called Irish Catholics, German Jews, Swedes, Negroes, Italians, and what the writer later described as that rare, pure Mayflower-dropping somebody English. Hands over their hearts, these children faced an American flag, draped like an aerial altar cloth over teacher's desk. Not such a different article, really, from Superman's cape part of a sartorial ensemble that protected truth, justice, and the American way. They sang America the Beautiful, and Syl was weeping by the time they arrived at From Sea to Shining Sea, a line that made a lot more sense to an elementary school student than Above the Fruited Plain. Moist sea winds permeated the playground with positive ions, the proverbial breath of fresh air that exuded hope and made them exult when they were not shooting marbles, jumping...